Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to begin reading in a few moments with the uh, kind of the middle part of verse 18. If you've ever listened to much classical music, you probably have some idea that a lot of the symphonies take one theme and they build on it with different variations. And one of the masters of this, I guess, was arguably one of the greatest composers that ever lived was Beethoven. And he did this in several of his symphonies. He did it in the Fifth Symphony. You're going to hear just a little bit of that. Let's listen to a little bit of the Fifth Symphony. get that, da-da-da-da, just over and over and over, just with a different variation. That symphony is sometimes called the fate symphony. Did you get the pounding, pounding, pounding sound? Or feel like fate is pounding on you, pounding on you personally, beating you down, making you despair? Sometimes life seems to do that to us. Beethoven wrote another symphony. Symphony Number nine, we're going to listen to a little bit of it, and you will probably be familiar with this part of it because this part of it has been changed into a hymn we sing. Sing, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Catching up the idea of praising God. Now, don't know whether you know this or not, before the end of his life, Beethoven was losing his hearing. And when he wrote the Ninth Symphony, he was deaf. He never got to hear that with his own ears. But he could hear it in his head. He had been pounded by something really cruel for a composer. Can you imagine writing such beautiful music and not being able to listen to it? Life had pounded him, but in the midst of the despair, he could find joy. Someone else did that too. It was the Apostle Paul who wrote this book of Philippians. If you think about Paul, Paul had been stoned, he had been beaten, he had been shipwrecked, and when he wrote this book, he was in prison. And yet the theme... One of the underlying themes of this whole little book of Philippians is joy. As we read this passage this morning, notice the joy that is evident there. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in the middle of verse 18. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given me by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, 
Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, that will mean fruitful labor for me. But what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. That's pretty amazing words for someone who had gone through what he had gone through and was still going through a very difficult time in life. How could Paul have such joy in the midst of such bad circumstances, even after they'd seemed to keep piling up over and over and over? Well, several reasons. First of all, he was wrapped up in Jesus. Look at verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. His whole life was surrounded you know, by Jesus. His whole life was lived for Jesus. It was from Jesus that he got his strength. It was from Jesus that he got meaning for life. It was for Jesus that he found his purpose for living. And he could just rejoice in that no matter what. He was connected with Jesus. He was, he was a part of Jesus. In John chapter 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. If a person remains in me and I in him. And that's how Paul was living. He was connected to Jesus, wrapped up with Jesus, bound up with Jesus. And that brought him joy. Also, he had a purpose. His purpose was to exalt Jesus. Look at verse 20. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Whatever happened to him, he wanted Jesus to be exalted. In the way that he lived, he wanted Jesus to be exalted. In the way that he died, he wanted Jesus to be exalted. You see, he was facing death. What he was in prison for could have been considered a capital offense. If he didn't get out, he might be sentenced to death. So he said, I'm going to have pray for the courage to stand tall for Christ no matter what happens to me. He could be joyful in the midst of dire circumstances because he had an overriding purpose. Ever stop to think about your purpose? Back in the 1950s, there was a movie that came out entitled The Bridge Over the River Kwai. And it was set in a remote part of Thailand back during World War II. The, the soldiers were in the midst of an enemy-infested jungle. And one was on guard duty, and as he was on guard duty, he was kind of thinking out loud. And he, he was, some of, these are some of the thoughts that he, he was thinking. Have I used the time that I have been given? Have I accomplished anything of note? Is the world a better place because I have lived? You see, he was beginning to wrestle with what his purpose was. You ever wrestle with what your purpose is? Have you thought about why God put you here in this time, in this place? 
Paul knew what his purpose was. It was to exalt Christ. But he also had another purpose, and that was to serve others. Look at verse 25. He said, convinced of this, I know I will remain and will continue to be with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. He wanted to go back and be with the Philippians again. He wanted to help them to grow in the faith, to make progress in the faith. He wanted to be able to rejoice with them in the faith, rejoice in what God was doing as he spread the good news around the world and as he changed people's lives and as he blessed them. You ever stop to think that your faith is supposed to make progress? No. Sometimes we think, okay, I've accepted Jesus as Savior, I'm set, and we never grow. We never make any progress. We're supposed to keep our faith growing. It should grow deeper. It should grow wider. It should grow higher. It should grow stronger. We're to be making progress in our faith. We're to be continuing to develop our skills, continue to seeing how we can minister for the Lord. And then did you know that your faith is supposed to be one of joy? No. Look, look at the lead of that verse. For your progress and joy in the faith. Yeah, sometimes we let our faith become a drudgery. Well, I've got to do this. You know, this is what the preacher said I'm supposed to do. This is what the Sunday school teacher wants me to do. Well, I guess I better get busy doing it. Huh? Just wears me out sometime. It's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be joy in the faith. It's supposed to be a, wow, yeah. I think John, when you prayed the prayer this morning, you know, I like the ideas. Yeah, this is the day the door is made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. He gives us a new day every day. Rejoice in the Lord. Be glad that you know the Savior. Figure out where He wants you to go, what He wants you to do. That brings us joy. It's not meant to be a drudgery. It's meant to be a joy. If your faith is a joy, then man, every day is a vacation. You know, because you're enjoying what you're doing. You're doing the work that he's calling you to. And then he could rejoice in the midst of difficult circumstances because he had help. Look at verse 19. For I know that through your prayers, you know, he was connected with the Philippians, and he wanted them to be praying for him. And he knew that they were praying for him. And he said, through your prayers. You know, we kind of need each other, don't we? We can't do the Christian life by ourselves. Sometimes that's why we don't have the joy we ought to have. We're trying to do it just by ourselves. We're supposed to be on a team, moving forward together, concerned for one another, lifting each other up in prayer. Paul said, I can rejoice because of your prayers. They're going to hold me together. They're going to keep me there. They're going to support me. Now, stop and think about that for a moment. Paul had been the one who had led some of those people to the Lord. It was because of his ministry there in Philippi that they came to know Jesus in the first place. It was Paul that got the church started. He was the, the, the founding person of that church. And now after the church has grown, what's he saying? You've got to pray for me. Today, you need to pray for me. Your transitional pastor. When you get a permanent pastor, you need to pray for him. You need to look at the staff we have, and you need to pray for the staff. You need to think about your Sunday school teachers and the ones who serve on Wednesday night and others in places of leadership responsibility and pray for them. We can't do it by ourselves. It's a joint effort. We need your prayers. 
I know we'll have them. Paul was encouraged in the midst of the circumstances that he faced because others were praying that he would have the courage he needed to carry out the purpose God had given him. And that's what we need to be praying for one another. Yeah, we support one another in the trials and tribulations we go through, but overall we need to be praying that each of us will have the courage to serve the Lord as God is calling us to serve Him. So we pray for each other to have courage and to make a good stand for the Lord. And then Paul also said that he not only had the help of their prayers, he had the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. He, he had the help of the Holy Spirit within him, and that Spirit was strengthening him and guiding him. The word help there came from uh, a, a Greek word that went back to when the Greeks were going to put on some of their dramas, and they needed someone to underwrite the cost. You know, some, you know they would get benefactors that would come and pay for putting on those dramas. They would underwrite the cost of what was going to be produced. The Holy Spirit underwrites us with his strength and his guidance so that we can live in ways that are pleasing to Christ so that we can exalt Christ so that again we're not doing it in our own strength we're doing it through the strength of the Holy Spirit and the the, the help that he gives is always lavish help it's always generous help it's always sufficient help so Paul could have joy in the midst of those circumstances because of the reasons that you see there Paul could rejoice in the midst of those difficult circumstances because he was connected to Jesus and he was connected to others. And that made the difference to help him face life. And that made the difference to help him carry out his ministry. Now, what's the dominant theme of your life? You ever stop to think about it? You heard some of the themes of those different symphonies. What's the dominant theme of your life? What are you living for? You know, we're supposed to have the theme of one thing or the other, and it may be despair. You know, well, I'm just going to try to get by as best I can. You know, it's going to be hard. I'll struggle, but maybe I'll make it somehow. You know, the British used to say they would muddle through, and sometimes that's how we live life, try to just muddle through, just get through it. Just get from one thing to the next. Make it somehow the next day. Or is it joy? Now, notice, didn't say happiness. Happiness is dependent upon circumstances. You know, we're happy if things are going good. If things aren't going good, we may not be too happy. Joy is there regardless of the circumstances because it's built on trust. It's built on the assurance that we serve a God who is ultimately in control. It is built on the peace that we have because He's in our life and He's helping us and He's going to direct us and He's going to care for us and He's going to provide for us and He's going to be there for now and for all eternity. And so the joy is not based on circumstances. It's based really going back on our relationship to the Lord Jesus. So what's the theme in your life? Joy or despair? It can be joy. Why can we have joy? We can have joy because we are connected to Jesus. We are connected to Him. We've accepted Him as Lord and Savior. We're connected to Him. I'll share some verses with you. This is, first of all, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. 
I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. When we have faith in Jesus, we've got life. When we put our trust in Jesus, ask Jesus to come to us, forgive us of our sins, and enter our life, then the power of the gospel is in our life. The righteousness of Christ is accounted to us, and we have life. Scripture talks about being born again. It means that the life of God comes to be in us so that we have life now and for eternity. Jesus said it this way in John 14, because I live, you also will live. The life of Jesus becomes our life so that we can trust in Him, be built up in Him, be encouraged by Him, draw our life from Him. Like verse 21 in here in chapter 1 of Philippians, where Paul said, For me to live is Christ, to live is Christ, to die is gain. We can have joy because we're connected to Jesus and we have His life. We're going to look at the Scripture sometime. Remember they said, like Hebrews 12, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured. And we can endure because of the joy that's set before us when we're connected to him. And then, because of him, we have a future. Any of you like Jeremiah 29, 11? Scripture says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God has a future for us. He has a future for us. We read about it earlier. 2 Corinthians 5. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in, our bodies, is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in the heavens. We have a future, and it's based on our relationship to Jesus. It's based on Jesus being with us. It's based on what Jesus has done to prepare for us a place. Remember what Jesus said before he went back to heaven? I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. If you are connected to Jesus now, you'll be connected to Jesus for all eternity. You've got a future. You've got a future. And it's sure. You can trust in it. And it ought to bring you joy. There's an old story that comes from the time when doctors used to make house calls. And the doctor was called out to go see one of his patients. He was also his friend. He was also a fellow church member. And the, the man, you know, this was back in the day where people stayed at home, stood in the hospital. And the doctor went to the man's house and he went in to, you know, the man's bedroom, and the man was in bed, and he said, Doctor, I, I, I know you've done all you can do. I know you're a good religious man. I know you that from church. He said, I'm afraid to die. And the, and the doctor said, well, why? And the doctor said, well, I mean, the man said, because I don't know what's beyond the door of death. don't know what's, what's there. Well, about that time, 
The doctor's dog, who he carried along with him, had jumped out of the vehicle, snuck into the house, and sniffed out where the doctor had gone. And so he started whining and scratching at the door. And the doctor said, you hear that? The man said, yeah. He said, that's my dog. He said, that dog has never been in this house before. He's never been in this room before. He doesn't have a clue what's in this room. But he knows I'm in here, so that's where he wants to be. We don't have all the answers about heaven, but we know Jesus is there, and that's where we want to be. Because we know he's already loved us so much, he's died for us and raised again. We have a future, an eternal future, if we have the Lord Jesus in our life. We know it's going to be glorious just because he's there. And we have a purpose. We have a purpose. You know, our purpose is to exalt the Lord Jesus. Our purpose is to lift him up and to bless him and live for him. Now, you know what happens to us a lot of times? We get it backwards. We think Jesus is living for us. Well, in a sense, he is. He lives for us. He came to earth for us and lived here on earth for us. He died on the cross for us. He was raised again for us. He lived and died and lives again for us. He lives for us. But because we know that and received him, then we ought to have the trust in him to live for him, to serve him. What's your purpose? What are you living for? Are you living to eat? I know. Preacher, quit meddling. <laughs> Some people do. Are you living to have fun? Are you living to learn all you can? Are you living to exalt Jesus? Are you living to help others? Are you living to make all the money you can? Are you living to acquire possessions? Are you living to, to uh, accumulate experiences? Well, why are you living? What's your purpose? We can claim to be, you know, have a noble purpose, but sometimes if you, if you look at our lives, we're not living for Jesus. We're living for us. And our goal in life isn't to please Him, it's to please ourselves. Our goal, our purpose, <clears throat> is to please Him. That's what He wants. What is our purpose to be? Our purpose is to exalt Jesus. I'll live to exalt Jesus, to lift up Jesus, to encourage you know, people to come to Jesus. Now, you might say, okay, how do I exalt Jesus? You know, Jesus is the one who came from heaven. Jesus is the one who is the Son of God. Jesus is the one who was raised up from the dead after he was crucified. Jesus is the one who went back up into heaven and his disciples saw him go. Jesus is the one who is seated at the right hand of God himself. How can I exalt Jesus? By bringing him closer. Closer to people who think that he's just somebody that lived 2,000 years ago and didn't have much relevance for anything today. In a sense, you've got to be a telescope. If you, if you stop and think about it, a telescope, even our grandest telescopes, aren't much compared to a star. But that telescope can make that star appear close so that you can learn all kinds of things about it. We're to be telescopes for Jesus. We're to make Him appear close. We're to, you know, help show Him to the people around us by how we live and by what we say. We can put it another way and say, 
We're to connect others with Jesus. We're to help them to understand that He is relevant today, that He is close today. We're to help them understand that He can make a difference in people's lives today, and we're to be sharing how He's made a difference in our lives. We are to exalt Jesus by how we live and what we say. And then we're to help others grow in the faith. And we're to let them help us grow in the faith. That's why we need to be connected to each other. Because we are helping one another to continue to make progress in the faith and to experience joy in the faith. So we share life together. We are connected to one another. We share life together. We connect with others. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. We're part of a family. We're connected in the household of faith. And this brings meaning to our lives as we seek to live out our purpose. Even when we get pounded by life circumstances, Paul could live in hope. He got pounded, but he still lived in hope. Did you notice what he said there in verse 20? I eagerly expect in hope. It's kind of like, all right, it's going to get better. It's coming. You know, something better is on the way. God's still in control. Good things are going to happen. Whether, whether I glorify God through my death or whether I am released and continue to be the servant of others, things are going to be different. Can you eagerly expect and hope even in the midst of your circumstances? Even when you're getting pounded by life? We get pounded, don't we? You know, maybe it's health issues. Maybe it's relationship problems. Maybe it's financial reversals. Maybe it's loss. Maybe it's grief. Maybe it's just watching the news day after day and seeing the things wrong here and wrong around the world. All those things pound on us. Can we live with joy, with expectation, with hope? Little eight-year-old boy couldn't wait for Saturday because his daddy had told him earlier in the week, son, we're going fishing early Saturday morning and we're going to fish all day long together. Well, boy, he liked fishing with his dad. He thought that was fantastic. Friday night, he had all of his gear together, all of his stuff together. Boy, he was ready to go. He got up on Saturday morning and it was pouring down rain, raining so much he wouldn't possibly be able to go fishing with his dad. Well, boy, he didn't like that. The day had been ruined. He griped and he grumbled and he kicked the table and he screamed at the dog. And, you know, he, he, you know, his dad said, son, you know, the farmers need the rain. That didn't make any difference. He wanted to go fishing. Life was terrible. Well, lo and behold, about noon, all of a sudden it quit raining, cleared off real quick. And his dad said, well, son, we might not have been able to fish all day, but wouldn't fish all afternoon. Come on. So they went out and jumped in the pickup and they rode to the lake and they started fishing and they started catching fish and catching more fish and they caught more fish than they ever caught before. Man, they were having the time of their lives. And when sundown came, they took those fish, took them home, mom cooked them for supper and they sat down for the meal and the father said, son, say the blessing. And he did. He said, God... If I was a little grumpy this morning, it was because I couldn't see far enough ahead. What about you? 
Can you see beyond the storm to what's going to be? When life's pounding you, can you see far enough ahead? Can you see far enough ahead to know that you've got a purpose? To know that you've got a future? To know that God wants to be with you? What's the theme of your life? Is it despair? Nothing's ever going right. Always trouble, always problems. Pound, pound, pound. Just hate it. Or is it joy? I know I've got a hope. I know I've got a future. I know that even in the midst of these circumstances, God is with me and others are praying for me. And even in the midst of this, I feel God's presence and I'm experiencing His joy. You see, what makes all the difference is your connection to Jesus Christ and how you're living it out. Are you connected to Jesus Christ? Do you have that connection with Christ that comes from having turned away from your sin, ask Him to forgive you, ask Him to come into your life? He'll give you His strength. He'll give you His guidance. And everything's not going to be rosy. But you have got Him with you no matter what. And He can make all of the difference. And He can make the difference eternally. You need Jesus in your life. You need to ask him to come into your life today. Maybe today you need to say, Lord, help me to look ahead a little further than what I'm going through. Lord, you know I'm getting pounded. Lord, be with me. Restore my joy. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. David prayed that. Maybe you need to pray that today. Maybe God is leading you to come put your membership here. Connect with us here so that together we can grow and share life and share joy. An invitation to him this morning is number 545.